The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Yes, ring the bell as we are back in with another edition of the program and looking forward to talking about everything in the sweet science. And man, am I glad that I'm here, still standing. I'm not going to sing Elton John. Uh, We're still intact here because of Hurricane Ian in Florida. I wasn't sure if I was going to be displaced, evacuated, et cetera, with the family, the twins, the dog, et cetera. Uh, Again, we're good. I'm glad Dan Rayfield is chuckling at me. Yes, we would take the dog with us if that was the case. Of course. Uh, Brother Rayfield, good to be back with you. And, And look, in all seriousness, devastating hurricane south of me in Fort Myers. Everybody's probably seeing the news and the video uh, of what's going on in Fort Myers with wind and rain and damage that they're not going to recover from for a long time, loss of life as well. Middle of the state, Dan, and you're familiar with the state of Florida. You've been in and around Tampa and Orlando. Orlando got clobbered as well, and this thing went all the way through Daytona Beach and out into the Atlantic. We were spared largely in the Tampa Bay area. did not get the brunt of it at all. So I'm glad to be with you. Uh, your heart goes out to everybody that was affected by this because welcome to Florida and what we live with. But we're here. We're here on the show. We're ready for another weekend. I would love to tell the audience, don't laugh at me again, that we have humongous, significant championship fights. I would be lying. We don't have we don't have that. We do have a little bit. And we got something special on the show in a little bit because you had a conversation recently with the undisputed. We do have champions on the show. You had a conversation with the undisputed lightweight champion, Devin Haney, who's about to head to Australia and be there to fight George Cambosis coming up in a rematch shortly. So how are you? And we're ready for that I conversation. Think, uh, I'm doing good. I'm certainly glad that you and the family are okay. And of course, you'd take the dog. If we were in this situation, we would take the cat. Uh, I believe Devin Haney actually already is now in Australia. Gotcha. Traveled sometime this week, overnight, whatever is their long trip. Uh, but people can hear that conversation. We did that uh, a few days ago before, uh, you know, obviously before he left um, to, to discuss his rematch that he has with George Cambosis coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, not a rematch. I don't think that was something that everybody was dying to see, but to get his opportunity to fight for the undisputed title and to unify his WBC belt with the belts that George had, uh, that the rematch clause was part of the deal and he won the fight. And now he's back to Australia for the, uh, for the second fight, but yeah, slow weekend, unfortunately. But, you know, I think looking at the calendar ahead, I think this is probably the last weekend that we're going to see, you know, through probably maybe like Christmas week where there's not any kind of major uh, boxing action. So nothing wrong with a week off where there's nothing happening, but uh, that will be rectified soon because we've got a bunch of big fights or at least interesting fights anyway, coming up in, in the, in the coming months. And some of them are going to are going to come as a barrage, like that weekend of the Haney fight. There's four or five significant fights that weekend. Oh, so you got the Haney to... fight that weekend. You got the rescheduled Clarissa Shields yes, and the Kayla Mayer championship doubleheader. You got the uh, you have the uh, Wilder Hellenius, the Deontay Wilder Hellenius heavyweight pay per view. You got uh, you know Matchroom Boxing that same weekend has its first ever card in Australia. That's on the zone. You have a, a lot of stuff going on. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I wish they could spread it out. I wish I would have had the foresight to look at the calendar and say, hey, there's nothing going on on this particular weekend. <laughs> so we're going to cram everything in on the same uh, on the same exact weekend. But uh, such is life. Yep. 
such as Life is Right. All right, we got much to get to. Again, thank you for following and subscribing. A lot of you have been rating and reviewing. By the way, because of all the craziness with the hurricane uh, in and around the state of Florida, we will still do the giveaway. We've been talking about this. For those that uh, reviewed the podcast and got us the screenshot on social media of your review, because we asked for that uh, previously and again last week, we're giving away the, the little magnetic key cards that have the fight posters of Canelo Triple G1 and Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao from the Rayfield Collection. As I like to say, he is parting with a couple of nice trinket items, great collector items from those two fights. Uh, Canelo, uh, May, uh, Canelo and uh, Triple G was September 2017, and backing up Mayweather Pacquiao, the key card that's got the fight poster on it, was May of 2015, right? So they're going to get both. Somebody's going to get both. Um, and we'll do that giveaway for next week. So there's a little disclaimer there. Keep rating and reviewing us. Find us, Apple Podcast, Spotify, uh, Get the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You're going to want to be here again. We've got the Devin Haney conversation right now. But Dan also had a conversation with Deontay Wilder, who is about to fight Robert Hellenius, as we mentioned, in a couple of weeks in his heavyweight return. You'll hear that conversation on this feed without any prompting, social media, website, or otherwise, if you are following and subscribing so we and you know you what happens if they follow right tj i do know that go ahead and share it with them though if they're unaware of what they get i heard so, this from my good friend tj Reeves. Yes. if they subscribe and follow you get a ding you get a bell you get a vibration you get an alert you get a red light you know, you know something's there and and then you don't have to be prompted you might get it at 11 o'clock at night you might get it at two o'clock in the morning you don't know what we're up to but you will get the podcast if you're following or subscribing uh, so let's get into some news of the week, and then we'll hear from the champ, the four-belt lightweight uh, world champ. The, am I correct? i, I got to keep it all straight. The first-ever four-belt lightweight champ, right, is undisputed, Devin Haney. Yes, no not one. only the first four-belt undisputed champion, but just in undisputed in general in terms of two, three, four, you know, those years. There hadn't been an undisputed champion since the three-belt era, since Pernell Whitaker, the late great Hall of Famer, did it. In like 1990 or 91 so it's been a long time 13 years how about since that? the lightweight division has been unified like that and uh, and devin haney by the way uh knows his boxing and is well aware of that i mean this is a kid that that follows boxing that knows the boxing history i saw him when he did the one of the press conferences uh with the with the with the announcement for the rematch with george cambosis he was wearing his old school uh you know tyson holyfield t-shirt and uh you know the kid the kid follows boxing and i i think he takes and knowing him the way I do and interviewing him as many times as I have, he definitely takes great pride in knowing that he has done something that hadn't been done since a great all-time legend like Pernell Whitaker. And good for him. Good for him because the historical significance of a lot of these things get lost on the younger generation. And I'm trying not to be get off my lawn guy. You are the same age that I am. But when, when fighters, when athletes, when people today don't know the history, the significance of why something is where it, it kind of it loses something and then it, and the more that goes on unfortunately history fades away time history fades away so it's well, good we have, keeping it alive i like that yeah no that's it's boxing it's like that look we've had it this week i mean i'm you know i'm a big yankee fan i've been following say for example aaron judge's uh trek towards uh, 61 home runs to to tie the american league record what many people consider the real record a non-steroid record for home runs and why is that a big deal? Because it's historical because Roger Maris's 61 home runs came 61 years ago. And, you know, when people can accomplish things in, in, in their given sport decades after it had originally been done, it tells you how special it is. I mean, even again, as a Yankee fan, I'm watching the ball game the other night, 
judges tying the record that Maris had for the uh, Yankee record and the American League record. And on the on the mound that night was Garrett Cole, who's getting his 248th strikeout of the season to match my favorite player as a kid, uh, Ron Guidry, with his uh, season Louisiana record for Louisiana Lightning. Louisiana yes, Lightning sir. was your guy, Guidry. I love it. Uh, as a, as a young kid, that was my guy. It was uh, it was a uh, Ron Guidry, Willie Randolph. I like that from the old school uh, Yankees. All right, quick story, and then I promise we're getting to the boxing. So you know that I, I have media connections every which direction. So there is a woman who you worked with, and I think I told you this story. Maybe I didn't tell you the full story. So there's a woman that you also worked with, but I work around her right now in her roles with the NFL Network and with Fox Sports. She's Sarah Walsh, who used to be with ESPN, ESPN Sports Center, and do a bunch of stuff with them, and you were in and around her. So Sarah is here in the Tampa Bay area and was dealing with Hurricane Ian with her family, and she has twins. She has a son and a daughter, so we kind of are alike with twins, et cetera. Meanwhile, in Toronto, Aaron Judge hits this 61st home run on Wednesday night to match Roger Maris, a very valuable home run ball for whoever would come up with it. And as it turns out, it landed just below a fan trying to catch it in left center field at the Rogers Center, the Toronto, uh, the old Sky Dome. You and I are, are baseball buffs. I've been there. It's now the Rogers Center. All right, so somebody didn't catch it, was reaching over the rail kind of beyond the wall and didn't catch it, and the ball falls down into the bullpen. And Sarah Walsh's husband is the bullpen coach, a former minor leaguer and brief major league baseball player who is the bullpen coach of the Blue Jays. The ball rattles around in the bullpen, and he picks it up. He's got the judge home run ball. All right, so the word gets out on social media that he got the ball. So Sarah humorously is posting on social media that she can now basically retire. Retirement is set. Her husband has the ball. Well, then they Which post belongs, a, by the way, to the team. They weren't going to let him keep it. I'm just saying he's I in know. possession. What do we say about possession in, the, in terms Nine of legal stuff? Of Nine tenths What's of this guy do with possession. boxing, by the way? Hold on. He's got the ball. He's got the ball. So then Sarah is thrilled and thinking retirement is set for me and the twins. We're going to sell the ball, whatever. Well, then a short time later, there's a photo from the Yes Network of him holding the ball and he's about to walk and give it back while the game is still going on. And so she puts, my husband can't even call to see that the house is standing, meaning from the hurricane. And now this, she's going to, he's going to give the ball back to Aaron Judge. She, she sarcastically says, and so we're going to be in divorce court or something to that effect on the tweet. So I told you about that because you brought up Judge and the Yankees. There's a little connection. It connects to the hurricane. Um, and so there you go. So there was Sarah Walsh with your Maris ball. And by the way, Sarah says her favorite all-time movie is 61, the Roger Maris movie uh, made by Billy Crystal with uh, Barry Pepper. And there you go uh, from that. So there's a little symmetry there, uh, at least I think, from my media friends. Well, we're Sarah looking Walsh for a number – no, no game on uh, on Thursday, but we're looking for some home runs against the Orioles this weekend. And obviously, 62 would become the more important ball than 61 sure. if he hits a 62nd. Now, if he doesn't hit a 62nd before it's over, then the 61st ball. Well, he's is got the ball. seven games. Up. He's got seven Don't, games. Up. And he it took he, him seven games to get from 60 to 61. But he, he usually, just, if you follow me, hits he hits home runs all right regularly, but oftentimes they come in clusters. So all right. And the, and the Orioles suck so bad anyway, you know he's going to bomb them a All couple right. of times. And you, you hit home runs on a regular basis, and let's do that. <laughs> let's get into it. There's a segue. Uh, Fury Joshua. I'm just going to say Fury Joshua <laughs> and get your reaction. I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming quite farcical. And I'm not, I don't lay the blame in, in any way uh, from my understanding. This is not 
an Anthony Joshua issue or even an Eddie Hearn issue or Anthony's management company 258 issue. This is that Tyson Fury is a fucking lunatic. I mean, he's a great fighter, but he's a fucking lunatic. Let's just be honest about it. He changes his mind every two seconds. So the other day he calls off the fight. No, not happening. I'm going to fight. Well, he set a deadline. He set a deadline for the contract to be sent to him is what he which said. was not a real, which was, which whatever, was disingenuous, right. Right, completely whatever. disingenuous because Tyson Fury, who has been involved in major fights. If anybody knows how long contracts take to do, it's him. By the way, when he was trying to set up the Anthony Joshua fight prior to his fight for the third time with Wilder that ended up taking place because of the arbitration case. They had been in negotiations for an undisputed championship fight with Anthony Joshua. This is, of course, before Joshua had the back-to-back losses to Usyk. That fight, which was going to be in uh, Saudi Arabia, obviously was a huge, a huge deal. That fight took weeks and we- months to get, get to the point where it was done and on the verge of being announced, and then he lost the arbitration. Point is, they know how long it takes to make a fight. Now, this particular offer of the scenario for this fight at this time and place in boxing was not as complicated as it was when they were going to do the fight uh, previously when it would have been for Undisputed. I grant that. But again, the point is, these things do take time. We discussed it on the last podcast. We don't have to rehash all that. But so Fury, bottom line, gave the deadline, said the fight is off. He was going to fight Manuel Shar. He was making videos also. He was complimenting Shar for, you know, calling him out. And he liked that, blah, blah, blah. You know, Which, by the that, way, can I interject and stop you? That's yes. a joke fight. No one cares. No Correct. One, and I don't think you don't even believe it. That's not a legitimate. That's not legitimate. I mean, that's I mean, it'd be OK again. if if you weren't talking about Joshua and you were like, I'm just going to have a placeholder fight to stay busy while I'm waiting for Usyk to get in the ring, you know, sometime in the beginning of next year, I could, I could, I'm okay with that. I don't think it's like the worst thing ever. I mean, I've seen way worse title defenses by various champions, but to, to go to the extent that you did with Joshua and call it off because of some arbitrary deadline that never made any sense to begin with. And then say I'm fighting Char, that seemed a little bit of a bridge too far, but be that as it may, he called off the fight. Okay, fine. Then, like the next day, meaning earlier today on Thursday, right? you've got him saying, you know, Frank Warren, my promoter, he talked to me, convinced me I'm going to give you, you know, another chance. Now you really have to sign the contract. It's like he's the boy, the boy who cried wolf. And it's just, it's, it's farcical. You know, let them go through the contract and do it like a real business deal, not a made-for-Twitter drama or an Instagram drama. Do you drama. believe that this is a, 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 an indication he doesn't really want to fight Joshua, he's yanking his chain, he's going to continue to yank his chain, and he will fight someone else? We're just speculating. Yeah, I kind of take it that way right about now. He doesn't really care if Joshua agrees he's yanking his chain. That's my I mean, I just don't know the answer. I mean, I'll say this. I don't think Tyson Fury is afraid to fight any fighter. I'm not saying not, I don't think he's, I'm not saying I don't think he's ducking Anthony nope. Joshua. I think he's yanking his chain. I think they want I just to fight somebody trying- else. That's my speculation. I think he's trying to embarrass Joshua. So if he doesn't sign under duress or under a rushed situation that he, that fury believes that it will be poorly, it'll reflect poorly on Joshua when in what I'm seeing via social media is it's actually the opposite. The people I've been seeing and hearing from on my various social media platforms, they're saying fury is acting like a real dickhead and that he should just let the process play out. And that Anthony Joshua you know, actually is the one that he's looking to get away from, not the other way around. 
Joshua accepted these terms. Now they're just going through the agreement. Now, but Eddie he did Hearn, say, Fury, in, hold on, hold on. In his video, he did say that the zone and ESPN and BT Sport, which are the broadcasters that you and I discussed as being right. very critical that he didn't bring up last time. He claims, I don't have any evidence of this, that they're now on board and can work a deal out or whatever, whatever. You know what? When the fight's when the fight's done, let me know. I mean, it's so comical. But it's Eddie Hearn told us foreshadowing like three weeks ago, right? That this could be just to get us to respond and then make it seem to everybody that we wouldn't agree. And then he's fighting who he really wants to fight. Hearn was foreshadowing that. And it's looking more prophetic with each passing day, each passing week that that's really what has been going on. He doesn't really have an intention of fighting Anthony. I Ross. mean, Eddie Hearn you is know. not a, uh, a newbie in this business. You know, he's been down the road with complicated and difficult negotiations for the biggest fights in the world. Uh, and so from that point of view, Eddie absolutely knows what he's talking and, about. And by the way, this is the same Eddie Hearn. What goes around comes around completely uncooperative with his fighter, Dillian White, when Fury was trying to fight Dillian White to wit. We're not going to help you promote it all the way up until the week of the fight. We're not going to let you. Well, that's use, not you explained it on the show. We're not going to let right, you. But that's use not entirely. Likeness, that's know, not entirely fair because Dillian White was not under a long contract with with uh, Eddie at that point. That was really not Eddie's still, situation. That was. That was Dylan White being stubborn himself. So maybe but you can, you can gotta, blame Eddie for a lot of stuff, but that's not what Eddie's got to talk sense into his guy as well, that this is the biggest payday, even bigger than when you fought Joshua. He's a promoter. He's, he's not his father. No, I understand that. But I think you're giving Eddie a little bit of a pass right now. I'm coming back at you. You're giving Eddie I am a giving little him bit a pass. pass, a little and bit by the way, anybody that a knows bit of a pass on that. But I mean, I'll, I'll when, when necessary, I'll take on Eddie. I understand, People, but can discuss the paper. We're talking about Canelo. He's uh, he's dealing with the same guy, Frank Warren and Queensbury Promotions. This they just did this with Tyson Fury back in April. I think there's a little bit of the technical term is yanking of the chain. I think there's just a little <laughs> bit of a yanking of the chain that's going on here, and I don't know that these guys are ever going to fight. Not in December. I don't know. So we'll see. That's where it stands. Listen, that's the latest. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it like this, TJ. It's 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 the same philosophy that I told you about that mm -hmm. I espoused prior to the agreement being made for Golovkin and Canelo, a fight that a lot of people wanted to see in the third, the third fight. And I kept saying to people, like, if they don't ever fight again, I'm okay with that. The first two fights were terrific, controversy notwithstanding. Mm -hmm. They were great matchups. These are great fighters, Hall of Fame guys. You know, they had two terrific fights. If they don't go the third time, I'm okay with that. I'd like to see it, but I'm not losing my mind about it. If it happens, great. So when they decided and they ended up going their separate ways for different reasons, you know, mainly because of Canelo's decision to go elsewhere and leaving Golovkin kind of at the altar for a while, you know, so be it. When they came back and they finally made the fight, I was happy. I was glad to see it. It turned out not to be a great fight, but whatever. In the same sense of, of this fight between Fury and Joshua, would I like to see the fight? Of course I'd like to see the fight. I think you would. I think lots of boxing fans would like to see the fight. If it doesn't happen, so be it. Now, it's different from Canelo Golovkin because they haven't ever fought before. Right. So you still want to see the first one occur. But the same concept is, you know what? I'm not going to lose my mind. There's plenty of other fights to go to go uh, uh, get get excited about or to watch or to think about and all that. And if they don't fight each other, it ain't my fault. It's on them. They're the ones that lose out. I mean, we don't get that match, but there's always another fight to look forward to. I've learned right. that over the years. You know, I can cite you chapter and verse of big fights that did not happen. And uh, the sun still came up the next day. And if Fury and Joshua don't fight, you know, life goes on. Right. Bigger deal in the UK, obviously for them. We're not there. I understand that. And I continue to maintain, hey, for what it's worth, 
Uh, again, I, I come at this from a, a realistic point of view. Anthony Joshua's lost three of his last five fights. I don't care right now to see him get in there with Tyson Fury till he demonstrates something because he lost his last two fights to Usyk. I want to see him demonstrate something else. I don't think that's fair. And yeah. I say that because even though he lost the last fight to Usyk, I'm honestly, that I'm was probably the... you. I'm giving you, yeah. from my point of view, what I care about. You told me right. you're fine if they don't fight anymore, and I'm telling no, I'm you, saying, though, I don't have as... to see this fight right now because he's lost three of his last five fights. I don't care that but much. But my point is, his last loss against Usyk in August, if you actually, you know, if you watch that fight, my viewpoint, and I'm not alone, Anthony Joshua probably fought maybe the best fight of his whole career that night, and he still just came mm. up a little bit short. But he, he fought really, really, he fought really great well against night. Klitschko, and you were there. You were ringside for that one. Yeah, fair and enough. Had to mean, have, and he had to have it. But he fought. I'm only making the point that the loss was against an elite, you know, Hall of Fame fighter at his best. And it was still a competitive fight where he fought much better than the first fight. And, he, you know, I guess my point is you can't have it both ways. You can't say, you know, if a guy takes on the best guy and he loses, he shouldn't get another big fight. So you fight an easy guy and then you get the big oh, fight. What because I'm saying, winning. let me clarify again, is if Joshua goes and fights somebody else and of, of significance and clobbers him, He's more attractive now to come back around. I believe, just my speculation, that they, Fury and company, are looking at him as damaged goods right now. Psychologically and otherwise, he's lost three of his last five fights. This is easier to fight him right now without a confidence-building fight or two. So I don't have to have it right now. Just my opinion. I'd like to see That's it fine. maybe That's down fair. the road if he does better. That's all I'm saying with that. All right, shall we move on? Devin Haney coming up in a moment on the podcast. Floyd Mayweather, who you already admitted – you watched on the recap podcast. You admitted you watched his exhibition this past I admitted, weekend. I didn't realize it was you like said, a, like a... You said, my <laughs> hand is up. You, I'm paraphrasing, my hand is up. I will confess that I did watch the Floyd exhibition. That's a, I'm paraphrasing what you said. I was sort of, that was sort of tongue-in-cheek. I right. did watch it. So but, you, you know. watched it, and now he's going to have another exhibition, and this is with a social media guy. How do you say his name? Deji? Deji? Deji. I don't know how you say Deji. I think it's Deji. And he's KSI's brother. And KSI's Younger brother. Bigger. This is like the Pauls. This is like Logan and Jake Paul. Except but they're like, the, they're like the, the, the British version of them. The British version. Yeah. All right. Tell me more because Floyd is signed on. He's still fighting exhibitions. Go. So, you know, he had the fight in Japan over the weekend. He knocked out uh, Asakura in the second round. And then two days later, so clearly the deal was on the table already probably done and everything before the Asakura exhibition took place. And they announced uh, this company, Global Titans, which he worked with on the other fight that he did in the UAE. They announced that he's going to fight your boy Deji, uh, November 13th, pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, <laughs> it'll take place at the Coca-Cola Arena in Dubai, which is also in the will. UAE. Because if you're fighting Deji, that's where you're fighting him. Keep going. Yeah. Well, that was supposed to be the location when he fought Don Moore in the last UAE fight, but they ended up switching the date and switching the location. That was when the, the president of the UAE died and they were in like a period of mourning right, and that right, sort right. of thing. Uh, so he's going back to the UAE to, to do this fight. Now, what drives me crazy is when they make these announcements, like I, I expect if you're going to send me a press release or some kind of alert, please provide me at least the most basic information. You know, how can I watch it? Right. Which was not specified. How many rounds is the fight? Which was not specified. Maybe what's the weight class was not specified. I say that because he's had the, the, the various fights that Floyd has had in exhibition land have been different rounds. Like the fight that he had the other night where he knocked out as in round two was a scheduled three rounder. Okay. But the fights he had with Logan Paul, uh, Jake's brother, and the fight he had with Don Moore were scheduled for eight rounds. And so 
I'd like to know how many rounds. Deji fought as a heavyweight. Between his amateur fight, he's had a couple of amateur fights and his like one pro fight. He's, I think, range between heavy, like small heavyweight and super middleweight. So, so knowing what the weight of the fight is might be slightly important as I dip some more sarcasm well, into the. When yes, Floyd I fought Asakura, I was told the, 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 the max weight was 155, which certainly is um, makes sense because Floyd has been in recent professional fights a junior middleweight 154. And Asakura had fought, you know, between like 143 and 150 something in his mixed martial arts fights. So they were basically the same size guys. Now, when Floyd fought Logan Paul in their exhibition, Logan Paul is much bigger than Floyd. So there was no like, I don't remember the particulars, but there was no, there was a big disparity in what their weight was. I guess, uh, you know, Logan maybe couldn't weigh more than like whatever it was, one, I don't know, 80 or something like that. Right. But anyway, just again, I I asked for basic information. I assume as the fight gets closer, we'll find out. (laughs) But you look, kept getting you know, probably, TBD. You kept getting TBD as the answers, right? TB to, to be determined for yeah. TBE. Oh, very nice. You like that? Very nice. Anyway, so the fight's on November the 13th. Can I ask uh, you a quick question while we're just quipping we'll back and forth? Is Floyd sure. Mayweather tarnish, tarnishing his Hall of Fame legacy by continuing no. to trot around and doing these exhibitions in any Absolutely way? Not. Right. Absolutely not. I mean, Muhammad Ali fought you know, Inoki in a wrestler versus boxer but he match. Was doing it while he was still in his prime, still defending the title, still fighting bigger fights after this appears. I think this is fair. This appears. How can I make more money by fighting goofy, fighting Deji and fighting whoever goofy things. So I, an argument can be made. What are you doing? Have you not made enough money? You're he in is the not in, the yeah, notion that, doing? first of all, I would find to be far more uh, of a negative to do, these types of exhibitions while you're an active champion. He's now a retired champion. He's been retired since 2017 from actual professional boxing. Mm-hmm. He's already been inducted into the boxing hall of fame. And so this is his post boxing career. If he chooses to do exhibition matches that obviously are making some kind of money because people keep paying him to do them and they're not going to pay him not to, you know, so they can't make money. Uh, and he's having fun doing it. I called his trip to, uh, Saitama, Japan, this past weekend for the fight with Asakura, I refer to it as a working vacation, you know, because he showed up in Japan, a country that he's been to many times that he enjoys. Uh, he, he went in the ring for uh, what turned out to be less than six minutes of work. It only would have been a maximum of nine minutes of work. Uh, and he was paid millions of dollars to do so. And he enjoyed himself. So I can't understand how is that tarnishing your legacy? He's still physically fit. He still moves around pretty well. He still landed enough punches to knock the dude out. Uh, and it, you know, maybe I'll do the same thing to your boy, Deji and, uh, my boy, you know, and I, so I don't, I don't see that as, as negative towards his legacy. This is a retired guy who still enjoys doing what he does. He doesn't want to do it at the highest serious level. Good for him because at that age, you're going to start to see your skills degrade. But if you're fighting your boy Deji or the Asakuras of the world or attention or Don Moore, who you sparred with a million times, or, you know, a Logan Paul, who's highly inexperienced you know, you're going to look pretty good and you're going to pocket a gazillion dollars. And, you know, I, I wish we could all find, find a job after our retirement that could pay us a, sh- you know, a shitload of money to go have fun. That should be on a bumper sticker. I think, uh, anything else? Wait, what's gonna be on, to, yeah. What do you, what do you, what's the, what's the saying on the bumper sticker that we should all find something that'll pay us a crap ton of money oh, I got you. in okay. retirement. Um, in any event, anything else before we head to Devin Haney here in a few moments and and hear from the undisputed lightweight champ, anything else news of the week? Are we good at the moment? 
Anything else? Well, we can, we can, uh, I thought we can discuss some of the other things that have been going on this week. We'll get to, we'll get to the, uh, to the Haney interview. And then I think we'll, uh, I thought we we're going to discuss a little bit about, about your, about your boy, uh, Demetrius Andre. Yeah. We need to, we need to bring that up as well. But first though, here is the undisputed lightweight champion of the world without further delay, Devin Haney to fight George Cambosis again, coming up in a couple of weeks in Australia, same song, second verse. He won the first fight with Cambosis back earlier this year. Now this is the rematch. And here is Dan with the champ. All right. I'd like to welcome in my guest to the podcast this week. It is none other than, and I like saying this word, the undisputed lightweight champion of the world, Devin, the dream Haney. Devin is getting ready for a rematch with George Cambosis. The fight will take place October 15th in Melbourne, Australia. Well, it'll be October 15th here in the United States. So folks can watch it in prime time on ESPN's top rank card. It'll be uh, the afternoon of October 16th in Melbourne, Australia at the famed Rod Laver Stadium. Devin, you're on your way back to Australia uh, in the same city, a different location in terms of the venue, as when you won the Undisputed Championship uh, not that long ago, just uh, this past summer. So first of all, thank you for doing this. Welcome. I understand you're, you're, uh, uh, you know, you got this big rematch coming up with a guy that you beat uh, very handily. Uh, welcome to the show. And just first of all, Give me your thoughts on your performance in the first fight because I thought it was supreme. You won so handily, a lopsided decision. I thought it was actually closer than those judges scored it, which was 116-112 twice and 118-110. to Didn't seem that close. Your thoughts on your performance? Yeah, um, first off, thank you for having me on the show. Sure. I didn't think the close whatsoever. I couldn't you know, give him um, one second of the fight. You know, I didn't let alone a round. Um, so uh, yeah, that's pretty much how how I thought the fight you know went. Um, I thought I, I put on a, a good performance. Um, I I definitely see things that I could have done more of, uh, things I could have capitalized off of um, more. It's uh, it's gonna make for me to you know do it in the rematch and make for me um, to be a better fighter this time around. So the the big historical aspect of your win against George Cambosis, and to remind people, you entered as the WBC champion. He had the other three belts, and you became the first undisputed 135 pound champion in the four belt era, and the first in the weight class period since the late great Hall of Famer uh, Pernell Whitaker did it in the three belt era in 1990. So it was a long time since there's been that kind of clarity, let's say, in the lightweight division. And I, I, I'm curious to know. What did it mean to you to become undisputed? I mean, that's a big deal, it seems to me. You know, it was, it was a blessing. It was a dream come true. You know, I knew that I would become, you know, undisputed one day. It was always a dream of mine. Um, definitely didn't think that it would happen that fast. But um, I'm happy that it happened this early in my career. And, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't stop now. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I want my name to be mentioned with the greats. And, you know, the greats didn't only get the belt, they defended it. So uh, it's, this is a, a big moment for me. Um, and uh, I looked at it to defend him successfully uh, on October 15th. Now, Devin, one of the big things about what happened in, uh, in the first fight was the uncertainty of whether your father, Bill, who's your trainer, uh, your manager, your, you know, the guy that taught you how to box, basically, has been with you the whole time, and I know how important he is uh, in your career and your life, was uh, it seemed as though because of his past legal problems, uh, you know, going back decades ago, not the issue today, uh, but that he might not be able to make it to the fight. Everybody was preparing as though he wouldn't be there to the extent that he even had, uh, you know, the family friend, uh, uh, the excellent trainer in his own right, Yoel Judah, accompany you to Australia to, to, to be in your corner if your father was unable to make it. 
he did make it at the 11th hour. And I'm wondering how big of a boost was that for you to have him there for you? Yeah, um, it, it was a lot of motivation with him not having him there. Um, just to, you know, make him proud and, you know, do do the right thing, uh, bring the victory back home. But when he when he I found out he was able to come, it was just like it was just that extra push that I just needed and uh it just it made me ready for fight night even more. I'm always curious to ask fighters this question. They win this huge fight, big important fight that they've been focused on for months, a lot of uh, anticipation, uh, a lot of hard work to get there. You finally accomplish the goal, you climb the mountain, you win the fight. How did you guys celebrate? Honestly, uh, well, you know, the next day we left, so it really, but really wasn't that big of a celebration, to be honest. Um, you know, um, I went on, I went on vacation, um, and traveled a few places, but it wasn't really that big of a, of a, uh, you know, celebration. Everyone, you know, pretty much just, you know, took it in and uh, their own different ways. It wasn't like a big family thing or nothing like that. So now you go back to Australia for the coming fight. And I wonder, uh, what are your thoughts about having to go back to defend the title now, once again, in his backyard, essentially? Yeah, um, you know, I signed up for it, um, you know, to, to go back, you know, if I was victorious, which I was. So um, I have no problem going back. Um, I actually look forward to going back. I'm excited to go back. Uh, the first time I really, to be honest, really wasn't that, you know, excited. Didn't know what to expect. So obviously I was expecting the worst. So, um this time around, I know what to expect, and I'm excited to experience it again and uh, defend my belt successfully. As it relates to your dad, is everything good for him to come back to Australia with you as opposed to going through all the, the issues that occurred the first time around? Yeah, as of now, um, you know, they said that he's already approved and everything. Okay. everything. Um, but, you know, we just got to you know, cross that road when we get there. We, it's, it's, I thought I thought these things were you know taken care of before beforehand the last time. So we just got to see now. So it's only like four months or so between the first fight and the second fight, and you won yes. the fight. You come back home. Uh, you, you said you had a, a kind of a muted celebration, and now you're going all the way back to Australia to have the second fight. And I just wonder how is it? How do you go about motivating yourself for the rematch? Uh, to travel back there to fight a guy on such short uh, turnaround time, particularly because you already beat him so handily in the first fight. Um, at the end of the day, like I said, it's still motive. I mean, it's, it's it's motivation because you know it's history. At the end of the day, uh, you know, not only am I you know fighting for undisputed again, I'm defending my belts. Uh, you know, and only the greats have done it. And uh, so at the, at, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you know, uh, this is putting me closer and closer to my name being mentioned with those one day. And when you when you go back, anytime there's a rematch, there's always the question, do you have to do anything different? Does he have to do anything different? Do you have adjustments to make? And once again, I say because you won so handily, I, I kind of struggle to think about what you could do that you'd have to do that would be in any way uh, dramatically different, frankly, than you did the first time. Is that how you look at it, or is uh, yeah. are there things you want to well, do we, differently? We know that you know his his game plan will be a little different this time. It's obvious. Um, you know, he may try to be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't say exactly what his game plan will be. I, I and I can't you know try to guess. Uh, we're just gonna go off with the mistakes that he made in the first fight. Capitalize off of them, and um, yeah, but um. I know it will be a different fight because I got be- I've gotten better since the last fight. Um, I, it was a quick turnaround for me, so I got back in the gym quick, uh, and I picked up where I left off. So um, as far as sharpness, so uh, I'm ready to go. 
when you go back into the rematch, do you want to make a... I mean, you made a statement, I thought, just because of how dominating you are against him. Uh, you, you know, you've never been a guy, to my, to my knowledge anyway, that's like concerned himself with knockouts. I mean, you're a great boxer, not necessarily a big puncher, although, you know, I I've tell people all the time, I was there ringside when you knocked out Antonio Moran. I know you can deliver the thunder when necessary. Uh, do you look at a, at a fight like this where, you know, you can maybe be even more impressive, let's say, in the rematch by scoring a knockout, or is that something that's not in your mind? Um, that's not in my mind. Uh, I want to be more dominant. Um, you know, of course, the goal is to land bigger punches and, and, and uh, you know, do better than what I did the last time. But uh, we just got to see how the fight plays out. Um, I want to be victorious by any means necessary. So um, me being victorious is, is, is the biggest win for me. And uh, that's, the, that, that's the best way to win because, you know, winning uh, and defending my belts is, is, is what I want to do. So you have this fight will be mid-October, and then, of course, two weeks later, for those who follow the schedule, October 29th will be the return of Vesely Lomachenko. And for those who don't remember, he was actually supposed to fight George Cambosis when he dropped out to stay home in Ukraine and be involved in the defense of his country. You were able to get the fight and take his place. He's coming back off of his layoff. He's going to fight Jermaine Ortiz in New York. Uh, and there's been a lot of conversation that if you beat Cambosis, as you are expected to do, and if he beats Jermaine Ortiz, as he is also expected to do, that that will create the opportunity for what is a really big fight, even bigger uh, than some of these fights uh, in the lightweight division, which is uh, Devin Haney defending the lightweight championship against Vasily Lomachenko in the early part of 2023. Uh, I'm curious about your thoughts. I know you got the fight with George coming up, but uh, you know that that's something that's out there. What are your thoughts about the prospect of uh, taking on uh, the great Vasily Lomachenko? Yeah, I think that it's very much possible. Um, you know, we once we get through this fight, then we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. But um, that's definitely uh, a fight that I will entertain uh, and uh, see what happens um, after this one. But you know, once I'm victorious, then then I tell you more about it. But uh, yeah, Bombachinko uh, is someone that uh, I would love to uh, fight. And I've been saying this for for years and years and years and years. It's nothing new. And um, yeah. What are your thoughts about Lomachenko just in terms as a boxer? He's done so much. He's been pound for pound. He's won championships in three different weight classes. He's been one of the class fighters of the last, you know, this generation. Oh, it's nothing but respect. Um, I respect what he's done in the sport. Uh, and I like to test myself and uh, test my skills on, uh, on, uh, when, we, when we get in the ring. Devin, you got such a great weight class that you're at the top of the heap on. I mean, you're the undisputed champ, but there's a lot of talent. This is not like you got these belts because there's no other guys around and, you know, you can just easily get titles. I mean, there's a lot of talent here. And I look at the list of guys besides yourself and Cambosis and Loma. you got Shakur Stevenson, who's going to be coming into the weight class after he, uh, you know, in his next fight. You have Ryan Garcia. You have Tank Davis, Isaac Cruz, Michelle Rivera. Jojo Diaz, William Zapata. There's a lot of talented fighters at 135 pounds. Uh, what is your thoughts about the depth of the weight class that you rule? Yeah, um, this is a great weight class. Um, arguably the best weight class in boxing. And that, that's why I don't understand why I'm not on a pound for pound list. If, if I'm the top guy in the weight class, that's arguably, you know, maybe the first, second, maybe third, at, at worst, the, the as far as weight classes in boxing, you know, why, and, and it's one guy with all the belts, undisputed, why, why is that guy not on the pound for counters? Well, I think you're finding your way onto some of them. I think uh, if you want to know the answer to that, I think certainly, you know, if you lock up with Lomachenko and, and you win that fight, that will certainly, you know, anybody that wouldn't have you on a pound for pound list after that, 
I'm not sure what they're watching, but uh, you certainly uh, seem to me to should be in that mix without question. Uh, I know uh, Charlo was saying the same thing when he became the undisputed champion in the junior middleweight division, and he then found himself on some of these pound-for-pound lists. Um, so I think that is no doubt a, a good possibility. Um, one of the fights that's in your weight class, and I, I'm curious to your thoughts about it. It's not, it's not like it's a done deal, but there's been so much talk besides about you fighting Loma and the rematch between yourself and Cambosis. Probably the next fight that everybody talks about as wanting to see in that division is, is a possibility of Tank Davis against Ryan Garcia. And I wonder from the outside looking in, I mean, those shape up as great opponents for you in the future if they're being, if they can be made. Um, what do you think about that fight if it ever comes to actually happening? Um, I think it's a good fight. It's it's, it's an interesting fight. You know, dip, dip, um, you know, it be, dip, depending on what weight class that it's at. Um, obviously, Brian is campaigning at 140 now, so um, we just got to see what weight class is at. But I think it's a good fight for uh, for boxing. So, in terms of lightweight. I remember when you signed uh, before you were with Top Rank in this uh, situation you're now, but when you first were with uh, Matchroom Boxing, they held a press conference for you in Las Vegas on the weekend of a major fight. I forget what fight it was, to be honest. I was at that press conference, and at that press conference, you know, you and your father already were talking about the possibility. Sorry? It was a Canelo fight, I think. Canelo... I, I don't remember, but that's not the, the the thing about it was they did a press conference to announce your signing, which was you know important for you and for Matchroom at the time. And even at that press conference, there's already conversation about how much longer can Devin Haney stay at lightweight. He's been there since you know he was a young professional, and uh, you know we want to defend uh, or win a title, defend a title, and uh, and then move on up. And that's been now several years. And I wonder how much longer do you think? Because you're at the top of the mountain, like I said, how much longer do you think you can stay in this weight class? Yeah. Um... 135 is obviously, you know, not big. Um, that's why I'm taking one fight at a time. I want to see each fight, you know, how I feel. I don't want to say, oh, I'm going to be here for this many fights. And then, you know, I, uh, I hurt myself trying to make the weight. So uh, each fight, we, we want to have how we feel. Um, so far, this training camp, I feel great. Uh, weight is looking and everything. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so after the fight, I can tell you more on the, if I'm willing to stay, if I feel good, uh, which I think that... Uh, 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 I will be. So I'll just wrap up with this then, Devin. Because of the fact that the turnaround from your June fight to this next fight with Cambosis, and you said to yourself after a brief vacation, you went pretty much right back to training. Is that turnaround helpful to you in terms of you know locking yeah. in and making the 135 pound the limit? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, very helpful because um, you know you don't get much time to sit around and you know gain weight and sit and eat and you know. I was I was able to get back in the I was I was able to get back in the gym, get back to training, uh, get back to dieting, and uh, get back get back to my back. I got you. All right. Well, Devin Haney, thank you very much for uh, taking time to talk to me today about your upcoming rematch with George Cambosis. I wish you nothing but the best of luck, and I look forward to seeing you do your thing once again down under. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. And again, as you pointed out at the beginning of the podcast, that is before he has left for Australia earlier this week to already be there to get acclimated. Um, and I, I think the, the bigger the bigger point here is he realizes what's on the horizon with Lomachenko, others, et cetera, if he goes ahead and fulfills this obligation, does well, and wins the fight. That's, that's what I came away from that conversation with and this whole buildup is this is – 
the launching pad now to much bigger things once he gets by this, gets by this rematch for Devin Haney. Not that, I mean, you can't take Cambosis lightly. I'm not saying that again, but it's bigger things ahead after this obligation is out of the way. That's what I take away from that closing thought. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, he's obligated to do this, but it just as it turns out, he's going to have this fight on uh, October 15th. Uh, you know, well, October 15th, American time, prime time for the ESPN broadcast. It'll be the afternoon of October 16th in Melbourne, Australia, where the fight takes place. But he's going into what is, again, he's based on my conversation with him and and just knowing his personality in general, I'm sure he's taking this seriously. He's going there well ahead of time. Uh, You know, he's said he's been back in the gym pretty much, uh, you know, not too long after the first fight. Um, you know, I asked some people heard on the interview, I asked them, how'd you celebrate? And we really have a celebration. I was back in the gym a few days later. You know, we, you know, I went on vacation briefly, but then I was back in the gym. Anyway, this is like, I don't want to call it a tune-up fight because it's not, because it's important. But he knows that two weeks after his fight with Cambosis, uh, Lomachenko was back in the ring against Jermaine Ortiz in uh, the Madison Square Garden Theater uh, in a fight that is of one that Lomachenko will be heavily favored in. And that the plan would be that if they are both the winners, that Lomachenko and Haney would lock up in an undisputed fight or, you know, um, assuming he's able to keep all the belts. Uh, but even if he doesn't, still to fight each other in a very significant fight in the lightweight division in the in the first, uh, say, first third of next year. And so that is a huge, very interesting fight. And and he knows it's coming. And by the way, he's making like $4 million to fight this rematch with Cambosis. I mean, how could you argue with he's making big money to take on a fight where, he was the total dominating fighter in the first fight, and uh, he can set him up, sell, set himself up for a huge business. Not only Lomachenko, but even beyond that, if he decides to stay in the weight class, there's still other quality guys. And if he chooses after the potential Lomachenko fight, win or lose, to go to the 140-pound weight class, there's a ton of guys up there also uh, to, to tangle up with. So, you know, the future is awfully bright for Devin Haney. He's, got, he's a well-focused young man. He's got a good head on his shoulders. You know, he, he's, does, he stays out of trouble. He works hard. Um, and he's a good fighter. And, uh, you know, I wish him good luck. And, uh, you know, and by the way, Cambosis, you know, if he ends up being able to pull the upset in this rematch, you know, good for him because he was counted out by everybody before he fought Tiafimo Lopez. And he came uh, all the way across the globe and he pulled a huge upset. So it's not like we haven't seen him pull an upset before. You know, you never know if he can, if he can do it again. So he doesn't want to lose two times in a row, particularly two times in a row at home. And so I think he'll come with more uh, urgency against uh, Devin in the rematch. And, uh, Hopefully it will be a better fight because of that. Well said on all of that. Let us pause. We'll come back. We'll wind things down. There is a fight uh, of interest this weekend in Mexico to talk about. And uh, we'll get you ready for the weekend and wrap it up here in a moment. We're back on Big Fight Weekend now. Here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in one more time with the Dan Rayfield here, uh, our insider, Big Fight Weekend. You also read him on his Substack as well. Uh, friendly reminder, we've got the Bet U.S. Boxing Show Fridays at 1 Eastern time that uh, we talk and make picks on the fights this weekend. Again, there's not a ton for this weekend. We'll talk about the one fight that we'll have on that show here in a few moments on the preview. When we are done off the weekend, the recap show, again, the recap will be a little thinner coming off of this weekend, but also any news that happens this weekend. Speaking of news, one item that we didn't get to off the uh, the Haney interview, Demetrius Andrade, what is the latest? Uh, because now this this fight with Zach Parker is not happening again. What what? Give us the details here for the former WBO uh, middleweight champ. What's up? 
and former WBO junior middleweight champion, theoretically was going to go after the interim title of the WBO in the super middleweight division. Obviously, Canelo Alvarez is the is the champion and wasn't going to be fighting uh, um, you know Demetrius Andre anytime soon. So they allowed this interim fight. Remember, Andre and Parker, who's from England, they were supposed to fight back in May. Uh, Frank Warren, who was Zach Parker's promoter, had won the purse bid for that fight for uh, $1.8 million in change. He beat a bid of $1.75 million from Eddie Hearn of Matchroom Boxing, who at the time was still the promoter for Demetrius Andre, who is now since then a free agent. But that fight never took place because Andre uh, hurt his shoulder. The fight was called off. The WBO said, okay, fight's off. So they withdrew the sanction and there was no fight. Andre contemplated going back to the middleweight division. He was then ordered to fight his mandatory, Janabek and McAnuley. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, he didn't want that fight. It wasn't going to pay him as much as he'd been making. Top rank would have been interested to make that fight on one of their cards, but not at the price level that um, Andre had been making. That's my understanding of that situation. So uh, Janabek, who was the interim champion, was, you know, uh, Andre vacated. He became the full champion. And now Andre's back in, in the super middleweight division trying to do this fight with Parker, which the w, which which Andre's team went to the WBO and said, we'd like to re put this put this fight back together. WBO gave the thumbs up, said, OK, they sanctioned the fight. Parker was interested. They did uh, allow the fight. Uh, they didn't make an agreement between the sides. They had been talking. There was then another person that took place last week. And once again, Frank Warren won the purse bid, but he had no competition. So when you go to a purse bid and right. you look around and there's nobody else there, whether you're in person or on the Zoom call, you know, you usually come with the two envelopes. One's the big one if you got competition. <laughs> the other one's the small one, which, you know, you can win for cheap money if there's no other buddy there. So the minimum bid for the for the fight was three hundred thousand dollars. Frank Warren was looked around and like, I'm the only guy here. Or right. Whoever was there. On I am behalf. bidding against myself. So Frank Warren uh, bid $305,000. Now, I would assume because he's the promoter of Zach Parker, this is often how this is good insight for those who want to sort of understand the mechanisms of how purse bids work. The purse bid is basically to make sure if you're the winner to bid enough money to get the guy who's not your guy to come to the fight, mm -hmm. that you can make a side deal or a special arrangement with your own fighter. So Zach Parker is probably going to fight for more than what his cut would be. It's a 60-40 split. Uh, the way the WBO works, if the fight was going to be in England, which is Parker's home country, they give the extra little bit to the foreign traveling fighter because Andre would be coming from America. He would get 60%, Parker 40%. If the fight had been in the United States, it would be Parker getting the 60% and Andre gotcha. getting the 40%. Obviously, if Frank Warren wins the purse bid and he's got the British fighter that's under a contract with him, he's going to do the fight in England, which is where he was going to do it back in May. Here's the point. The Parker dollar figure that the purse bid would entitle to him, I'm sure he has a separate deal with Frank that would have paid him more than that, because he wasn't going to come for forty uh, for forty percent of three hundred and five thousand dollars. But for Demetrius Andre, that meant a purse of one hundred and eighty-three grand. Now Demetrius Andre has been making whatever you want to say about his opponents or or him as a fighter or whatever under the contract with Eddie Hearn that began when the zone basically began. He's been making seven figures for his fights or, you know, maybe a little under at the very beginning. But by the time the contract was over, he was making well in excess of a million dollars a fight. Here's a guy now, you know, getting towards the twilight of his career. He's not a young guy anymore. Still undefeated. Still has never been able to land a really big fight. But he's not fighting for 183 grand in the other guy's hometown, you know, at a new weight class where he's the naturally smaller guy. And 
they basically were like, you know, now they should have thought about this ahead of time. I don't know why they really sought so it to begs this, the question to your point, why they tried to do this in the first so it place. Be, it begs the question. Does that mean that Warren was playing financial games, knowing that Andre would never agree to that. And now Zach Parker can fight somebody else that they really yeah. want him to fight because these shenanigans are going on. That's the conclusion I had from what you were laying out. Well, I don't think there's anything, I don't think there's anything, uh, nothing sneaky about that that's that's just doing the business, business. I mean, right if no one else is in the room and what's right why should frank bid if you know why should frank bid why should he bid a million eight if there's no one exactly else if you know that envelope you're holding is 300 grand and you know that fighter over there has been making seven figures as you've been saying you know he's never going to agree to it and that's the envelope you put in you don't put in the same 1.7 or 8 or whatever you said yeah. it was the first time you're doing that i think with motive you're not stupid. Sure. No, You're doing listen. that with motive because you got somebody else that Zach Parker's going to fight when Andre says no, which we, which no, you know. But he's Andre, say. he could have, you know, he could have called the bluff and taken the fight, obviously, and then Frank would just have to put the fight on. Yeah. But the main thing is that uh, you, you never, why would you bid the crazy money if you're the only game in town? And like I said, right. my assumption, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think I am. I'm sure that, that and this is the way it often works. You make a deal with your fighter beforehand. This is what we're going to pay you. This is what we're going to bid so we can get the guy to come or not come in this case. Uh, same thing when they did the purse bid for the Tyson Fury Dillian White fight. And Frank Warren bid, you know, the, 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 I think one of the, the, I think it was the biggest million. purse bid. 42 million. Yeah. Right. 100% they had an agreement with Fury ahead of time to make sure that he would come for whatever, you know, whatever they agreed on, not necessarily the percentage he was due under the purse bid. The whole idea of that purse bid was to bid enough make sure that Dylan White showed up. Anyway, the bottom line is Dylan, uh, uh, Demetrius Andre is not fighting Zach Parker overseas in a new weight class for $183,000. Now, I don't blame him for that. What I do blame him for is for them playing games and going to the WBO and saying, we want to do this fight, knowing that there was a good chance look, this that is this the, would happen. And this if is you, the business. he didn't cover himself. He didn't cover himself, by, he didn't cover himself by getting a backup of somebody to bid on his behalf. As an example, there you go. Yes. As an example, and now it didn't happen. There was the the recent light heavyweight purse bid for Jean Pascal and and uh, and and Joshua Bowazi, mm -hmm. and Eddie Hearn obviously is the is the promoter for Bowazi. Pascal didn't have a promoter, and they knew they were in trouble. That Eddie Hearn would show up with the small envelope, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, Jean Pascal and his manager have been friendly and have uh, known Lou DiBella for many many years. They went to Lou, asked if he would be willing to back them and help them on this purse bid. Lou uh, talked to them, said he thought he could, you know, it could work for him and he would be able to find a way to put the fight on and and uh, and be able to make money on it and everybody could, you know, do a good job. So he backed uh, Pascal uh, on that purse bid and he ended up winning the purse bid for like $975,000. He beat Eddie Hearn's bid by like a hundred grand and he had a deal set up. Now, Boasi ended up pulling out of the fight for different reasons. But the point is the Andre people, based on the fact that only Eddie bid on the fight, or I'm not Eddie, that, that Frank Warren is the only one that bid on that fight. The Andre team did not go do their proper due diligence to get somebody to back them up, whoever it was. It could have been any promoter uh, out there. So now his manager, Ed Ferris, who I speak to, told me, as I wrote in my, in my Substack newsletter about this situation, that he's not fighting Parker and he didn't elaborate. And I asked him, but he declined to get into the details. He said, we have other plans in the works. Okay. So, so there you go. I, I, give, right. I give Andre and Ed Ferris enough credit. I, I don't think they're stupid. I don't think they just turn this fight down willy-nilly. I think that in some, I don't know if it's done, 
but there's some kind of roadmap that they believe they can do for Andre's career for the next fight or the next couple of fights that would be a better situation than going overseas in a new weight class to fight on enemy turf for, for basically shit money. So now All right, what we'll that is, out. I'm not sure of at the moment. Here's, we'll see if that plays here's out. Here's one more thing. And I'm just putting this and then we're going to get to the one fight we're talking about and we're done. Uh, Andre has not been active. Yes. He's been injured. He's not been that active anyway. And out of sight, out of mind right now, they better come up with something to make him interesting because He's been out of sight, out of mind, basically, for the last couple of years, post-pandemic even. He's only fought a couple times, not no no. Well, I mean, he, can, he stayed they busy better have something. That's all I'm saying. They better have something. He was he was active with Eddie as his promoter. I mean, he fought regularly. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, he couldn't get any of the big names to fight him. He's still 31-0. You know, he's still a former Olympian. He was still an amateur world champion. He's still undefeated. He still won titles in two-way classes. He's still got a good personality. And, 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 and Andre has deserved better. Now, he hasn't always made the right decisions on the right. business end. But he's gotten a bad rap. But I was helping you with when was the Parker fight supposed to happen off the shoulder injury? Because I don't know that. This is where you're the resource. Was it supposed to happen like November, December, January? Somewhere around no, there? It, it, the original date was supposed to be May 21st of 2020. No, no, no. I'm talking about on the purse bid right now. When were they going to fight? When, when Frank Warren came forward with small envelope number two, were they going to fight next May? Is that what you mean? Next no, no, no. If, they, if he, he won the purse bid in September of this year, meaning correct, just a correct. week or so ago, they, I think they had like about this, 90 days to put the fight on. So December. the idea was this, the fight would take place before the end of this year. So if Andre does, in fact, connecting the dots, have something, we would think it's December or January. And if they don't really have something and they're not fighting in December, January, February, March, then, then we'll know. They didn't really have anything. So now we'll know. Now we'll know. November becomes December, December becomes January, January becomes February, and either we have an Andre fight or we don't, then we know they didn't really have anything lined up. That's the only thing I'm trying to say. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. We'll find out. The proof will be... And maybe they have something that they think is lined up. They haven't actually gotten signed, sealed, and delivered, and it, it ends up falling apart, which is always possible, and uh, they'll, they'll see the error of their ways. That said, I, I can't blame him for not going to do the Parker fight for that level of money overseas in a new weight class. But what I do take issue with, as I said, is to play the game where you're thinking you're going to go there and you come to a purse bit and not have anybody backing you. I'm Don't why bother? I'm why waste you. everybody's time? I'm with you on that. All right. We got to get out of here before we waste any more time. So we will be talking about this briefly on the Bet US show, depending on when you're hearing the podcast. And if you can see the Bet US show on Friday, uh, Lewis Neri, former world champ at junior featherweight, is in action in Mexico, and he is looking to get back in the mix at 122 pounds at junior featherweight here. He's fighting the main event. They've had to switch the opponent, Dan. So give me the details on that real quick, because this is really the only significant fight. But it does involve a former WBC world champ, just real quick. Yeah, and he was also a former Bantamweight champion also. So he's a two-division uh, title holder. Uh, he is coming off of a, of a solid victory uh, where he scored a knockdown back in, in February against Carlos Castro. Uh you know, and, and he's always been an exciting fighter, Luis Neri. So he's fighting, uh, he's going home to Mexico. He's fighting uh, a, a substitute opponent, David Carmona, who, if you ask me, actually, even though Carmona hasn't been on a very good run lately, is probably even a, a little bit of a better grade than the original opponent, which was uh, Jesus Garcia. In any event, that's the main event of this uh, card in Mexico. They got Jackie Nava, the very popular women's boxer, uh, having her farewell retirement fight on the undercard. But the main thing, though, is if Luis Neri wins the fight and he looks okay, uh, there's probably a decent chance. I, I can't say it's like a done deal, but the, the, the vibe, the murmurs, the rumors uh, have been that if he wins, that here's a good chance at come uh, 
end of the year, uh, or perhaps in the very early part of next year, he will get the shot uh, on a probably a Showtime fight against Stephen Fulton, who was the unified 122-pound title holder. Uh, and, you know, when, when Neary has lost, you know, he did get knocked out by Brandon Figueroa in, uh, in their world title fight. Um, but he's, he's, he's usually been exciting. He's got some wins against, you know, maybe not the elite guys. Like he beat like the Juan Carlos Payano, who was a former title holder. He beat McJoe Arroyo. That was a, a good Olympian and an up and comer for a while. Um, but he makes good fights and they're trying to bring him back. And so that's the fight. Again, it's not a big fight. It's, it's, he's in there with a, a, a journeyman type of opponent. He's supposed to win. The key is, can he look good? Can he get the knockout? Can he do anything to enhance himself uh, coming off the win against Castro to put a nice little two streak, two fight streak together to put himself in position to potentially challenge uh, Fulton for his unified belts. And uh, if that happens, you know, good for him. If not, life goes on. All right. He is favored. And again, we'll be talking more about that on the bet us show. Wish that we had other, as I said, at the top of the podcast, I wish we had other significant title fight. I'd be lying. We don't have that this week, but just one more time, it's coming over the course of the next few weeks. You're going to see much more significant fights October and into November one more time. Right. So we're good on that. Yeah. And, and you know what, like I said, we boxing is the only sport where there's like no off season, you know, baseball goes from spring training to the world series football from preseason to the super bowl, but there's a few months off. I mean, there's the hot stove league and the mm -hmm. trades and the drafts and all that. But in terms of the actual competition, there are a few months where there's no action in boxing. We all freak out if there's like one week where there's not a big fight, you know, <laughs> so we're kind of spoiled, but you know, if, if you're, if you have one weekend between now and pretty much the end of the year and, and the main fight, if you can find at least in the United States, maybe a stream or something like that, it's not on American TV, is a Luis Neary, former two division champion, who's 32 and one with 24 knockouts taken on journeyman. Uh, that's not great, but you know, there's still actually a fight and there's no off season. So I take it, take it. As I say, if you can't watch it and it's Saturday night and there's no fights, go call your mother, call your mother. That's good on that. Uh, thank you to you. Great stuff as always. Even if you got crotchety at me at the little, at the end, maybe I deserved it. Uh, happy birthday, Mrs. Raphael, and the fact yes. that she puts up with you. Go celebrate with her. Good job on talking to Devin Haney. Hope everybody enjoyed that interview. He's now fighting George Cambosis in a couple of weeks in Australia in the rematch. With that, we're good, my friend. Have a good weekend. I appreciate it as always, Dan. All right, and I uh, hope all is well with the, uh, the big rainstorm and everybody else in Florida. Yeah, the, the aftermath of Hurricane Ian for sure and the effects and the rebuild that's going to go on in southwest Florida for sure. Our hearts go out to those people. Again, thank you for finding us however you did so. Social media link, Dan Substack, uh, Fight Freaks Unite Substack, or BigFightWeekend.com website. Again, we're here previewing, heading to the weekend recap mode. Not a lot to recap, but we will be back in the recap mode off the weekend. Stay tuned for that right here on this Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. For now, we're good. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Have a great weekend.